0: Amen. You can be seated. I, I'm glad. I'm glad that she prayed a little bit longer because whenever I sing that song, whenever I hear us singing that song, it's it's almost impossible to talk for a few minutes. The fact that he has a place for me is absolutely mind blowing. I wanna. I wanna step back to, to last year for just a second. We're in a series on Transformers, and I get my yellow Volkswagen out. And somebody asked me last week, did you really have eight Volkswagen Beetles? And at first I said yes, but then I started counting. And my oldest was a 1960, and my newest was a 1967. And if I count the one without the engine, I had nine. (laughs) All different colors. But I just want to recap last week by this. Um, if you were here last week, you remember Huey. If you weren't, then remember, when you miss a Sunday, you miss a lot. Here's Huey. Don't be a Huey, okay? Here's Huey, and you can see Huey is not sure what color he wants to be or who he wants to be, but he sees this yellow Volkswagen down there. And he's like, that's really sweet. And if Huey does this... It's like an off-yellow, okay? But if I put him here, you would know what color the paper was I just put him on, even though you couldn't see the paper. What color is it? I'm just testing. I'm just testing. This one's a little tougher. Yeah, it's green-ish. Blue. That's right. It reminds me of Pete Van Cleek. When I was in college, Pete Van Cleek, he he was a year ahead of me in school. He was like a weightlifter, bodybuilder guy. You know, you didn't mess with Pete um pete was colorblind 100 percent colorblind and he came from i can't remember where he came from michigan or something but in the area of pennsylvania where i was you know how the stoplights out here they have red you know yellow green um in pennsylvania the stoplights were this way he'd never seen that before which one's red which one's green? He knew the yellow, but he didn't know the other two. It was always an adventure with Pete. Um, we, had, we had... This has nothing to do with anything. It's all free here. I'm just sharing this. Um, we had to dress up at, at, in, in the, college, the Bible college I we went to. We had to wear suits and ties, you know. And so um, Pete came to school and I looked in his... I was in his room and I, and I noticed something in his closet. And I just went over there and looked. His mom had marked everything with a tag so he knew what to put together with what cuz he couldn't tell someone may have changed the tags <laughs> can neither confirm nor deny this but the next the next day in class was absolutely hilarious <laughs> oh yeah anyhow has nothing to do with anything except this except this when I say, don't be a Huey, we talked last week about how the Bible says, don't, don't be conformed to the customs and patterns of this world. That's what Huey tries to do. Whatever he's near, he becomes that. It says, instead, be transformed. Let God change the way you think. So we introduced this last year, actually. We started talking about transformation. For me personally that it's a year of transformation for you, maybe for your family, for, for our church, for the, this community. And we introduced it last week and we shared how God wants to change us. He wants to change us over time to be like his son. That's what he wants to do in us. So today we're going to talk a little bit about how God does that and really more how we allow God to do that. Um, Before I I jump into that, um, in your worship folder, there's an outline for you to follow along. There's a few things for you to fill in that would probably be good for you to know, good for you to remember. Um, This whole process of transformation, you might hear um, the technical term thrown around is discipleship. Um, A disciple was one who followed Jesus, and discipleship is that process of getting to know him and following him better. Um, Eugene Peterson is the one who did the message paraphrase. I can't even imagine what kind of work it would take to, to to paraphrase the whole Bible by yourself. But great man of God, incredible insight. He talks about discipleship, and he calls discipleship, I love his definition, it's long obedience in the same direction. That's what discipleship is. It, it can't happen overnight. It, it, it's We want everything instantly. In fact our our culture is is getting that way in so many different things, not just with with fast food, but everything. I ordered something from Amazon the other day. I order something from Amazon every day. That's a whole nother issue. (laughs) But it's so funny that I get I have Prime, Amazon Prime, so that I get two day free shipping. And This thing came, and it said when it was going to come, and it didn't count this day, and it counted this day, and it came three days, and I'm like, Really? That's three days. You can't get it to me quicker from Hong Kong in three days? you know. We get get this mentality that everything has to happen like this. Um, Alan Redpath, um, an author, says this, The making of a disciple is not the miracle of a moment, but the work of a lifetime. See, we want everything quick. And so we, we're, we're going to embrace God's process of transformation. And that's through, we talked about this last week very briefly, that's through spiritual disciplines. That's things that we do that allows God to transform us. Um, I'm going to throw these up on the screen just because, um, so that you can see them. But there's a lot there. You'll not, you don't write it down or anything. Somebody asked me first service, and I think what I'll do is online where you get the sermons um, on journeychurch.com. Um, I'm going to also have these things you're going to see up there so that you can have those along with the outline that you can look at online. So Richard Foster was a theologian and author. He wrote about spiritual disciplines. He wrote about the devotional life. Um, he tried to like quantify this. He has a lot of books out on this. Very good, very good author, um, very good insight. He looked at it as three different things. The inward disciplines, the outward disciplines. Those are these inward realities that result in lifestyle changes. And then corporate disciplines. For inward disciplines, he says things like meditation and prayer and, and fasting and study. That's getting into God's word. Those are the inward disciplines. Those are the things we do that nobody else might see. And then there's the outward disciplines because when we do the inward ones, they kind of exhibit themselves outwardly. And uh, it's interesting, this one, I would not necessarily have put it on the list before I read these books that I read on it, Um, but it's on almost every list and that's simplicity. And one of the reasons is our lives get so crazy, our lives get so complicated and so we need to do to allow God to transform us. And so simplicity is a big deal. Solitude, um, submission, service. He talks about the corporate disciplines And he says confession and worship, you know, gathering together to worship like we do now. You you, you should worship together as a big group. That's why we get together on Sundays. You should also do that yourself every day. But it's also good for us to do that together, um, to worship together for guidance uh, and just to celebrate. That's one of the things we do. So that's Richard Foster's. He has a whole book about that. Um, And then there's a guy named Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard, he's a philosopher, actually teaches philosophy at a college. He's an author, talks a lot about spiritual formation, being a disciple of Jesus. One of the reasons I like Dallas Willard, I don't agree with everything he says, but one of the reasons I like him is he's kind of been branded as a rebel. <laughs> I think that's fun because he is a really good thinker and knows Jesus. He, he split it up into two things. The disciplines of abstinence, he has to be a little bit heady with it, you know. Uh, the disciplines of abstinence and the disciplines of engagement, For abstinence, he talks about, again, solitude and silence. Fasting is mentioned again. Frugality, chastity, secrecy. And I'm going to admit right now, um, since I've read that book, I cannot remember what he means by secrecy. Uh, It's not like you keep secrets. Oh, I'm doing a spiritual discipline. I can't tell you. That's a secret. It doesn't work that way. That's not how I live my life, uh, with secrets. I, I don't have any secrets. I tell people all the time, I don't lie. I don't lie. And one of the reasons is I can never remember the lies and it's just way easier to know the truth and so I don't do that. So you'll have to read the book to find out what secrecy means. He talks about sacrifice. But then the disciplines of engagement have to do with you know how we engage with other people, the whole study thing. We come here, we listen to his word. We do that in small groups. The, the corporate worship and celebration thing. Again, the service thing because we serve on our own but as a church we serve better because we're better in a team. We're better together. He talks about prayer um, together, fellowship, confession, submission, and, and you may or may not have ever heard of Richard Foster or Dallas Willard. How many of you have heard of Chuck Swindoll? Can I see your hands? Yeah, same as in the first service, at least half of you. I love Chuck Swindoll. I could listen to him talk, preach all day. Um, he's a, an evangelical Christian pastor. He, in fact, he's, we're associated with the Evangelical Free Church of America. He was an Evangelical Free Church of America pastor for a long time. He was the president of Dallas Theological Seminary. He's on the radio. I just love, love hearing him. He looks at these things. He said, there's eight things, eight things that are, he he kind of boils it down and says, here's the eight things. The first one is intimacy, and that's the deepening of our lives. Simplicity is the uncluttering of our minds. Silence and solitude is slowing our pace because there's surrender. We don't, we don't do what we should do when things get so crazy. And then there's surrender. Just, and, and I like how he describes these. Surrender is just releasing our grip. Prayer is just calling out. Humility is bowing low. Self-control is holding back. Sacrifice is giving over. Now, all of those three guys, th- those are great kind of compilations and correlations of that, and I'll put those online for you, but maybe some of you are saying, you know what, that's a little bit too much. I don't even remember anything you just said. It needs to be simpler than that for me. What if you want to go simple as in where do I start? So that's kind of what I started thinking about. What are the basic things that we can do to grow as a believer? And so I have them kind of categorized into three things, and this is what I was going to do not now but what i was going to do and that's this my walk with god my walk with others and my walk in the world my walk with god has to do with prayer and, and communication with him my walk with god has to do with fasting and it has to do with studying that's getting into the word and i just want to say i'm not going to get into detail on this today but um, many of you have seen all of these people had something on there about fasting and you may think one thing about fasting. I'm pretty sure the person next to you is thinking something totally different. Now, you can fast in many different ways. I know some people are very organized, and they're saying, okay, this is, this is the 6th, and on the 9th, from 12 to 3, I'm going to fast. And it's like, yeah, that's, I can't do that kind of thing. Sometimes it's from food. Sometimes it's from other things. They'll, they'll say, I'm taking a media fast, which means I'm not going to do it. I'm not saying any of those things are bad. But that's not what comes to my mind. That's not, for me, the discipline of fasting. I look at fasting as just simply, um, let me explain it this way. Jesus, when Jesus began his earthly ministry, he went and John the Baptist baptized him. When Jesus came up out of the water, God spoke, and everybody there heard it. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The Father was there when the Son was baptized. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, it said, descended on Jesus like a dove, and everybody saw this. The whole Trinity was there as Jesus embarked on this mission that he was going to spend three and a half years um, training and equipping and getting people ready so that when he died, the church would launch immediately after that, you think that's a pretty big deal for Jesus to start his ministry. Immediately after that, it says the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And that doesn't mean, you know, get in the car, I'm going to drive you to the desert. It means he drove him there. He spent time with God. Obedience on Jesus' part to do that. But he went, he spent time with God. There was incredible temptation, especially at the end. But it's interesting, he spent 40 days and He was getting with God. He didn't eat for 40 days. And I think it's interesting how the Bible says it. And after that, he was hungry. (laughs) Duh! That's how I look at fasting. Not 40 days. I look at fasting as, here's how I describe it. It's over those drop-your-fork-sized moments in life. Those times that I have been with God, that I have been in His Word, that I have been praying, that something has been happening, and I've been spending time with Him, and it's like, didn't eat. It's got to be a pretty big deal (laughs) for me not to eat. But it's not like, I'm going to fast and not do this right now so I can spend time with God. I don't even think about it. It's like, drop the fork, that's not where we're at right now. I'm with Jesus. To me, that's what it is. I'm not saying that's what it needs to be for every, everybody, but it's part of our walk with God. And then the getting into God's Word, the study, my walk with others has to do with what we're doing right now here, the corporate thing where we worship together. You should, as I said, worship on your own as well, and worship is not just singing in many ways to worship, but we need to do that together here. Um, the whole fellowship idea, we come here for fellowship, um, but that's not the only place we get it. That happens more in smaller settings than it does in these larger settings. So in your small group, and your mentor stuff, and your step study things, you're going to have more fellowship than you are in a big setting like this. So that's a big deal. And then I, I wasn't sure where to place this, my walk with others, um, giving. Because giving for me is a very personal thing giving for me it for us. Julie and I we we do this together. We make the decision together. It's a it's an act of worship. So, it is with my walk with God, but it's just as much my walk with others because when I when people when we give it keeps things going. When people give, it keeps things going. And so it really does help generously support the church and the mission and the body here. My walk in the world, moderation. Moderation is key. We used to say moderation in everything except moderation. You can have excess in moderation. That's okay. But everything else is moderation. See, there, there's a self-discipline and there's a self-control um, that I exercise in my disciplines, and that's for testimony sake. There's things that I can do that I'm not going to do in public that I'm not going to do in in certain venues and I'm not going to do to certain excesses because I'm not going to be the one that somebody sees and trips over that and doesn't find Jesus because I exercise this freedom that although I have it, it's more important for me to exercise moderation so that I don't mess up my testimony or the church's testimony. That's part of the disciplines I exercise in my walk with the world. There's the whole sharing thing. That's telling other people about Jesus, sharing my faith story. That is not grabbing them by the neck and saying, turn or burn, you're going to hell if you don't turn to Jesus. (laughs) You're not going to win anybody that way. Sharing is simply, uh, this is the person I'm talking to, they're going through a difficult time. I have hope. I have hope because of Jesus. And I can share my hope with them. That's sharing Jesus with them. And then the caring thing is basically just living on mission. Living on mission and contributing to, you know, the, the human flourishing because I'm part of this and we're better together, so I do that. Um, but you know me. That's what I was going to do. You know me. I'm a simple kind of guy. Some of you would just say, yeah, you're simple. <laughs> Here's, I believe that one of my gifts has been my whole life taking complicated or hard to understand things and making them simple to understand. And if somebody says that I'm too simple or shallow because of that, I don't care because I want to take things that are incredible from God's word and make them easy for people to understand. So I have an even easier list. For me, it's easier. It's kind of a list, if you can call it that. Three things, just three things. And if you can focus on these three disciplines then you can begin to live out God's purposes for you and, and allow God to be able to transform you. So here are those three things. You've heard me say these before. The first one is a daily time with God. That can't be every once in a while. When did you last uh, sit down and talk with God? Oh, I think it was like June. You no. Know, every single day, I need to have a time with God. This is Jesus, as He. Um, after that, I'll put that in too when I put it online, that's, that, that verse is Jesus, as he often did, got up sometimes way earlier than everybody else so that he could go off to a place with God and spend time with God. So uh, for me, spiritual habits are summarized under these three big points, a daily time with God, and that means all those other things, the prayer and the, and the, the fasting and all that, and then a weekly tithe to God. A weekly tithe to God. First Corinthians 16 talks about um, once a week, just bringing, you know, deciding what you're going to do and bringing a percentage of what God has blessed you with for the, for, so that the, the church can continue. It's not that God needs your money. And by the way, this is not just about money. A weekly tithe to God is about time, talent, and treasure. It's about everything we are because everything we have is from God. You say, hey, I worked for that. Yep, who gave you the breath? God did. Everything we have is from him. And so I want to spend my life doing that. Now, um, for some people, for me, it's a weekly thing. For some people, it's not a weekly thing. They say, I don't get paid weekly. I get paid weekly. (laughs) Yeah, W-E-A-K-L-Y. That's a different. Whole nother thing. (laughs) You might get paid monthly. You might get paid quarterly. You might get paid every other week. You might, I've had a lot of different jobs. Um, For the first probably 15, 20 years I was in ministry, um, we worked full time. But I didn't get paid. And so we had full-time jobs. While we did, it was like, why, we worked to support our habit of ministry. <laughs> and we just worked at the, for the church full-time, but we just didn't get paid. So I had a number of different jobs and I remember sitting um, by a group of kids. This was in like um, 91, something like that. Um, they, said, um, they said something and I, I, gave, I gave them an illustration from a job that I had had. And the kid looked at me and said you you said something about a, a different job last week how many jobs have you had so we got notepad out you know legal pad out started writing down by a year this is when i could remember better this was a long time ago as of then i had 40 different jobs and one of the reasons is between school between semesters at school you know during the summer breaks and stuff i had all different kinds of jobs i i've worked full time I I tell people I've worked full time since I was since the day I turned sixteen. But the truth is I did my brother's paper out from kindergarten on. (laughs) Always been working. But I've had jobs, for instance, in sales where you didn't get paid every week and when you did it wasn't always the same. And you might go a long time with nothing and then have a big thing. And so what do you do about that? I said, here's what you do about that. It says, according to what you've done, according to what God has blessed you with, according to what that's what you give on. You, you do that to me and ask me questions like, That's the, I don't tell you how to do that. You do that with God. You decide and you do that. I have people come to me and ask me questions like, okay, I want to start giving. I want to start tithing. Do I tithe on gross or net? And you know what my answer has always been? Do you want to be blessed on your gross or on your net? That's the bottom line because I believe God can do far more with 90% than I could ever do with 100. And I've watched him do that for 40 years now. So that's a weekly tithe to God, but it's not just money. Time, talent, treasure. And then the third thing is a committed team for God. And that's all of us together. That passage in Hebrews talks about not you know, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Don't quit meeting together. We need these big settings like this. We need the smaller settings like the small group. We do things together. We serve together. There's all kinds of things under that. But for me, that's... that. It, everything I do is going to fit into one of those things. That's what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual disciplines. So whether your list is real long and complicated or short and simple, it doesn't matter. Here's the thing. Here's the the big truth for today. Practicing the disciplines doesn't make me holy. But practicing them opens up the capacity... For God to make me holier by grace. This is very important. You don't do these things so that God will love you more. God's not going to love you more if you practice the spiritual disciplines. He's not even going to like you more if you practice the spiritual disciplines. He loves you already more than you could ever imagine. You can't do something to make Him love you more. You don't do these to make yourself more acceptable to God. Here's how you should think about it. They're like channels through which God transforms me. And if I'm not doing it, God can't transform me because I'm not giving him anything to work with. So I do these spiritual disciplines day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out, not to make him happier, but to give him the the freedom to transform me. And here's the problem. When we talk about this, most people will kind of go to one extreme or another. They fall into one or two different categories when we talk about these disciplines. The first one is it's a legalism thing. Got to do it. Got to do it. I struggled with this for much of my life because I was raised in a family and in a church that this is where they, this is what they emphasized. You got to do it. It's a checklist. Got to check it off. Oh, I read today, Poop. check it off. Didn't get anything, didn't hear from God, didn't, but I checked it off, it was good. You see, th- there's an, an ought to about this. I ought to do this. And so we just do it. And because of that, it's easy to get a performance mentality. And as I said, this is what I grew up in. The people who did what they ought to were somehow feeling that they were better than the people who weren't doing it we ought to do this and we're doing it, and you're not, hmm. I can't tell you how many times they said that to me. That's looking at it from the wrong side. But the other extreme are those people who would say, you know what, I'm under grace, I don't have to do anything at all. And they might not say that out loud, but they live that way. I'm under grace, I can do whatever I want because God's going to take care of it. Both of those extremes are incredibly dangerous. The Bible even comments on both of them often. The question is asked often, should I sin so that there might be more grace? And it's like, no. <laughs> there's, a, there's another. There's a healthier, there's a better way to look at this. I'm saved by grace through faith. My life for eternity is saved and bought and secured by the blood of Jesus Christ. He went to the cross to die for my sins, to pay off a sin debt that I couldn't pay myself. So I'm going to heaven. I am God's child. I know Him on the basis of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. I am saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's my salvation. That's where it comes from. It's nothing that I do. Jesus did it all. My works, my practices, my disciplines, they don't add anything to my worthiness for heaven because Jesus did it all. They don't qualify me more to get into heaven. Instead of that, what we need to do is we need to flip our thinking. We need to look at it in a different way than we've looked at it. Maybe look at it this way, because God, completely by His grace, has received me and declared me qualified for heaven. 100% saved and secure and redeemed under the grace of God. Because of that, out of that, flows the practice of these disciplines in a relationship with Jesus. That's how it works. Let me give you an illustration. Julie and I have been married. I'm picking on Julie a lot today. Julie and I have been married 35 years. It'll be 36 this year. And it's funny. Um, we talked to somebody this past week, um, and they said um, they wanted to know how long we've been married. Um, and I said, 35 years. And, and they're like, his oh, eyes got big and he looked at us. I said, I was two, she was one. It's an arranged <laughs> marriage. It's perfectly okay. I don't remember a whole bunch about the wedding day. Kind of a blur to me. Here's what I remember I remember standing up front and I remember looking down the aisle and waiting for Julie. And my heart's like, I, I could almost see my tie going boom, boom, boom like this with my heart. And I am so excited. And she gets up there and we do our, our I do's. And you, you may kiss the bride. And then, and then I look at her and say, okay, we can go our separate ways now. Conversation, time spent together, that's all optional. We're married. We're good. How long do you think I would have lived had I done that? No. We have spent all these years getting closer, getting to know one another better, every year cherishing more the time that we have together. That's what our relationship with Jesus should be. Too many people get saved and it's like, okay, I'm good now, take care, see you later. When there's a problem, I'll call you. That's not what it's about. In our relationship with Jesus, when you come to Jesus, He saves you completely. The moment that you put your faith in Him, doing these things that we talk about, these spiritual disciplines, it does not determine where you will spend eternity. He pulls you to Himself in a relationship. You're His. He wants you to grow and flourish And thrive in that relationship. That's what the disciplines are about. About thriving and growing and flourishing in our relationship, in this this newfound relationship with Jesus Christ. So this is a little bit unusual. We're like halfway through and haven't even opened the Bible yet. Although, what we just said was completely grounded in faith. 40 years of spending time about it a lot in his word. Paul talks about discipline. He actually talks about it a lot. One of what I would consider his best thoughts, his best works on it, is at the, is at the end of 1 Corinthians 9. And here's what it says, starting in verse 24. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. He's going to compare this to athletic competition and them sitting watching those first games as the people would do their thing and run. He says, everybody runs, but only one gets a prize. Run to win. He's going to talk about the athletes. He says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. You don't go out there, get off the couch, and go run a marathon. You can get the app, C25K, though. It works. That stands for couch to 5K. <laughs> it really does work. But, but it takes discipline to get to that point. He says all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. We do it for an eternal prize. See, here's our problem. We think of discipline. When you hear the word discipline, most people instantly think Negative. When you're thinking about this training, it's like discipline. I got to go to the gym. I got to do this. I got to do that. Or we think about discipline. The kid's misbehaving. I have to discipline them. Or I'm misbehaving and God needs to discipline me. Here's the thing discipline is positive. Especially in this passage, God is a rewarder. He wants to reward you. He says, so. We do it for an eternal prize, so I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing, I'm not just beating the air, he says. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I love that he added that in there. What you can't do is take that out of context. He's not saying he'll lose his salvation if he does the wrong thing. That's already secure. He talks about that in a hundred other places. That's already secure. He's talking about the fact that he has the privilege and the calling and the gifting to speak to people about Jesus, to share the love of Jesus, to be able to start these churches, to share the good news, to see the kingdom expand. And he says, I'm going to do what I need to do and discipline my body just like an athlete does, training it to do what it should do and and experience these disciplines. Otherwise, I fear after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. All that means is he's out of the race. He doesn't get to do that anymore. Because they didn't practice what they preached, they disqualified themselves. And they were out. He says, I don't want that to happen. So, I'm going to share with you a few things from this passage. Just three quick things. Quick things, but my big goal for today is that you leave here more motivated to practice these disciplines in your life. This is not something just like super Christians, you know, or pastors or missionaries or more religious people do. This is for everyone who is in a relationship with Jesus. Every child of God, every follower of Jesus can practice these disciplines and open up the pathway to be transformed. And it can happen if we understand what Paul's saying and how important this is. So here's the first thing from this passage. God has a prize for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has a prize for you that is worth all the training. It's worth it. Because remember, discipline is positive. God is a rewarder all through the New Testament. All through the New Testament, we read about the prize. We read about the reward. We read about the motivation. You see, this is not... I told you, I grew up in something different than this. I grew up where people would say, I I do this out of gratitude. That's it. It sounds like super spiritual. It's actually stupid. It's true... It's true, I do it out of gratitude. But it's not just gratitude. He talks, Jesus talks in so many of his parables about a reward. There's a prize. And it's better than you could ever imagine. God, more often than not for me, uses the future as a motivation, more so than the past. Now, I am grateful that I am not in the past I was, that he saved me out of that. And that's a big part of my motivation to serve Him. But there's a reward. There's a prize that's worth all the training. Transformed into something so amazing you can't even imagine now where you're at. How many of you have heard the word metamorphosis? Metamorphosis. What do you think of? Butterflies, right? Caterpillar turns into a butterfly. By the way, in the Bible... The word transformation, you know what the Greek word is? Metamorpho. It's metamorphosis, it's the transformation. It's like the metamorphosis, the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly. The caterpillar has no clue what's about to happen. And if you told him, he'd be like, Yeah, right, I'm gonna fly. Woohoo, what have you been drinking? You know? No idea we have no idea what God wants to transform us into. We, it, it's now and forever. The end of a life of discipleship is an eternity greater than you could ever possibly imagine. But also, a life of transformation in a relationship with God, getting closer to Him, practicing these disciplines so that we open up that channel and pathway for Him to transform us, you will look back at stages in your life, and you'll go, I can't believe what he has done. That he's turned this person into somebody who's so captured by anger and hatred into into somebody who's learning how to love. Or somebody who who is so tied with bitterness that's learning how to release that. Because there's a transformation that when we practice these disciplines, God does that, Over time, there is a prize. Now, it's interesting. Back then, when he wrote, the prize was a little wreath that they wove out of leaves. It's like, so I'm practicing every day for four years to get a little wreath with leaves that's going (laughs) to wilt and fade. We're, We're more, we understand the Olympic thing better. Where you go to the Olympics, and at least if you win, you get a gold medal. And when times get hard, you can sell it on eBay, and you can get something for it. But here's the thing: God's eternal prize for us is so much greater that we should compete even harder. It's not—it's not a, a thing that fades. He says ours is eternal. And by the way, this is very important. He says, everyone runs in a race, but only one wins. That's the illustration of the race, okay? It's not that only one person gets to go to heaven. Because I'm getting ahead of you. If if that's it, (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's not like only one person gets to go, you better race really hard. Different. Here's the thing, very, very important. We don't compete against each other. We help each other. You know who we compete against? You know who I compete against? Me. I am my biggest competition. The prize is worth all the training and discipline. That's what he says. Here's the second thing. There is purpose in every step you take toward the prize. Every step. He said there is purpose in every step. Every step you take toward the price. See, we live in a culture in which ever, I've never talked to anybody that says, yeah, I'm not busy, ever. I've talked to people who, they, 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 they don't have a car, they don't have a bike, they don't have a job, they don't have anything, and yet they're busy. Everybody's busy. I think people actually used to be busier. and I'm being dead serious. When I was growing up, everybody I knew, they worked their job, and then they worked another job, and then they did this over here, and they did that over there, and they were always about our busy. I am not busier than the people that I watched growing up, but we talk so much about our busyness that we tend to believe that we are always overextended on our time. Here's what I believe. I believe often it's the difference between running hard in every direction and running toward the prize with purpose in every step. And if you're running in every direction, all you're going to feel is busyness. And that is the enemy of transformation. When we walk and run with purpose in every step. Now, that doesn't mean you don't do many of those other things. You just realize that the, the job that you have is important. But it's not the most important thing in the world because God has a purpose in that job. You do that, it says, as to the Lord, whatever you do. That's purpose in your step. Toward the prize. The third thing, this is the one nobody wants to hear. Training for the prize is hard work that requires discipline. That's what he said. It's hard. He's comparing it to athletes, you know? Running. Training for the prize is hard work, and that requires discipline. It's wor- I was always taught if it's worth having, it's worth working for, you know? Shelton Smith, he's like the, he's a, a president of a denomination. I can't remember which one at the moment. But here's what he says. The difference between mediocrity and excellence is midnight oil, elbow grease, and the power of God. You see, too many people are satisfied with mediocrity. I don't have to work any harder, and I just get mediocre and everything's good. We all get to heaven anyhow, right? Well, we don't all get to heaven, but we don't get there because we work, but we get rewards because we do. We get transformed because we do what we're supposed to do, but it's hard work. I would never stand up here and try to deceive you and tell you it's easy follow Jesus and everything will be good and your life will be great because you would all come back and punch me in the throat <laughs> the truth is following Jesus sometimes makes life harder but it also makes it worth it it's not easy it takes hard work and discipline to do what he's asking us to do in fact in Philippians 2 we talk about this in our class 101 Philippians two twelve and 13 says this what are the first two words go ahead and put that verse up Work hard. Work hard. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Now, one translation says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work for your... That, that's, an, that's a literal translation, but too many people read that and they hear work for your salvation. That's not what it says. You're already saved if you're a follower of Jesus. said so now work that out. That's why I like this. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God, here, And here's the key to all of it. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Too many people say, I really want to, but I just can't. So you got the desire. You got the desire from Him. You can get the power from Him too. As we said in last year's message, it's hard work, but it's an easy yoke. Remember the yoke thing, the wooden thing? You'd be yoked to this little, you know, skinny, hairless cat. You've got to pull a big heavy load. It's on you. I'm yoked to Jesus. He can do anything. So although it's hard work, my yoke is light. The burden is light. There is rest because God is the one doing the heavy lifting as he trains us for righteousness. The cost... The cost to obtain the prize, the prize for which God has saved us and called us, is discipline. It's work. It's striving. The cost of discipleship is great, but know this. The cost of non-discipleship is even greater. Like, for instance, the cost of not eating healthy He's trying to get healthier in a new year. The cost of not eating healthy is far greater than the sacrifice of eating healthy. The cost of not living on a budget is greater than what we give up on one. The cost, if you're a student, the cost of not studying ahead is greater than the cost of preparation. If you've taken a test and not studied, you know that. The cost of discipline and discipleship is great, but it's not greater than the distance that we might feel from God, the disorder of our spiritual lives that result from not submitting to the disciplines of a disciple. The cost is far greater. So do you want to fulfill God's purpose for your life? It's a matter of coming to Him by faith, becoming a disciple, follower of Jesus. It's a matter of saying yes To a lifetime of Him shaping you into the likeness of Jesus. And it starts with your, you said yes, obedient yes. Now, some of you, you said yes to Him a long time ago, but you've kind of blown it since then. It's not, here's what we say here you get a do over. Well, how do you know? You're here and you're breathing, you get another chance we say, from this day forward. It doesn't matter what happened. There'll be consequences. You'll deal with those. But from this day forward, I can, I can participate in these spiritual disciplines and I can open that channel for God to transform me starting now from this day forward to make me into the likeness of Jesus. So it doesn't matter how much you've messed up. It doesn't matter how much you've kind of strayed. And maybe, I, maybe like the people I grew up with on the outside, everything looked good but you know it wasn't on the inside. And you can say from this day forward, I'm walking with him. I'm doing those things not to make him love me more, not to make him accept me more. I'm doing those things so that I can fulfill his purposes for my life and I can open up the door to him transforming my life. And maybe for you, it's just the first obedient yes. Maybe you've been burned by church, burned by a church person, burned by somebody else. Maybe you've just had a bad experience with the whole thing. This is not about church. It's not about religion. It's about Jesus. And maybe you've never said that first yes to him. I believe that you died on the cross, but I'm kind of right now believing that you died on the cross for me. That the, the price you paid on that cross was not for your sin, it was for mine. And as much as I understand, I accept that. Maybe that's your first yes. I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray. Father, I know there's people all over the map in here in terms of where they're at. Some of them have uh, been walking with you for many years. Some of, you, some of them in and day out um, disciplining themselves, the hard work of doing these day in and day out, not as a checklist to just be able to check it off listen list and say, did that today but as a means of getting closer to you and enjoying you more. And because of that, you've been able to transform them. But I also know, Father, there's some who have not experienced that transformation. There's also some who have not experienced that relationship with you. And my prayer is that in simple faith today, they would say, Jesus, my answer to you today is yes. I believe that what you did for me was because I couldn't do it for myself. And I'm turning my life and my will over to you. I want you to give me the desire and the power to do what I need to do in these disciplines so that I can allow you to transform me so that I can fulfill your purposes for me. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. I develop these disciplines in my life so that I can live out God's purposes for my life. Same purposes for the church. We talk about this all the time. We grow stronger through worship. We grow warmer through fellowship. We grow deeper through discipleship, broader through ministry, larger through evangelism. And I develop these, and through developing these disciplines in my life, God's able to use them in the work of transformation in my life. That's what He wants. It doesn't make you more acceptable to Him. It makes you more open to the transformation. So you can go home today and begin practicing these disciplines. No stinking football to watch. <laughs> you might as well. No, I'm Father, thank You so much. I thank You for what we see You doing here in and through us. And my prayer is that this would be a year of transformation that we would see lives transformed. My life, the life of everyone here, that we would see families transformed, that we would see this church transformed, that we would see this community transformed because we're following hard after you. And Father, we just thank you that you are the one who gives us the desire and the power to be able to accomplish this. Thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.